0: Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 12. Thank you, Terry, for reading God's word and praying. And Jamie, thank you for reading God's word and praying. I'm so grateful for the word of God. This book is a gift to us. In it, God makes himself known. In it, he reveals his incredible love for us. From cover to cover, there isn't a greater love story than what's recorded in the Bible. And I'm so grateful for the word of God It is the inspired, infallible word of God. Amen? And I'm so thankful that we can come before him in prayer. Prayer is another gift from God. And I'm so grateful for this incredible gift called prayer. We just came off a week of prayer, and it was a wonderful week of prayer. Today is part two in our January sermon series entitled Vision 2020, The Mission, Our Focus. 2020 vision is a term I shared last week used to express clarity of vision. It indicates sharpness, awareness, depth of perception, and focusing ability. In this series, I want to talk about clarity of vision regarding God's mission and our focus. As we saw from last week's text, Philippians chapter 3, God's mission wasn't just to send his son, our savior, to come and die on the cross to provide us atonement and forgiveness for our sin. He also came to make us like Christ. Not just to forgive us of our sin, but to make us like Christ. And the Apostle Paul shared with us through Philippians in all honesty that he had not arrived. He had not been perfected. But he forgot about those things that were behind and he was determined to press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that is perfect Christ-likeness. And if you're a believer here today, we can relate to the Apostle Paul and we're running this race, pressing toward the prize, the goal of Christ-likeness. Can I hear a big amen, church? God's mission is our Christ-likeness. And I want to grow in Christ-likeness in 2020. In God's mission, our Christ-likeness should be our focus. Can I hear a big amen? Amen. Christ-likeness is the believer's goal. That's our goal. That's why God came in his son in human flesh. It's his mission for you and for me to make us perfectly like his son. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saves a wretch like me. Paul writes to the church in Colossians in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11, the apostle Paul writes, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things... On the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Those things that are not Christ like fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. We're to grow in Christ's likeness. The Apostle Paul, he he writes in verses 12 through 17 of Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, God's redeemed children, holy and beloved, put on, grow in Christ's likeness, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." Peter writes in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Church, our spiritual growth matters to God. Growing in Christ's likeness is the will of God. His mission, our focus. And gracious Father in heaven, I pray over these next few moments together that you would speak God to us through your holy word. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would communicate your eternal truths through your servant. I pray, God, for every heart, Lord, to to be attentive. I pray that no weapon formed against anyone here today that would try to distract them um, from receiving your truth, God, would prosper, that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done perfectly, God, in all of our hearts today as we hear your word preached through the power of the Spirit as it's already written in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, amen. As I shared in the opening, 2020 vision indicates sharpness, awareness, depth of perception, and focusing ability. In today's main scripture text from Acts chapter 12, as we all um, will see, Peter's spiritual vision, his spiritual vision was sharp. The depth of his spiritual perception and, and his spiritual ability to focus on the Lord and on, on the Lord's promises in a time of severe Crisis and persecution kept him calm and filled with heaven's confidence. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the gospel named after him. The Greek word translated Acts was often used to describe the achievements of great men. Acts does feature several great men of the faith in the early years of the church, men like Peter in in chapters 1 through 12, and and the apostle Paul in chapters um, 13 through 28 of the book of Acts. But the book of Acts could more properly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, since his sovereign work was far more significant than that of any man, including the apostles Peter and Paul. It was the Holy Spirit, directing, it was the Holy Spirit's controlling and empowering ministry these men did in the name of Jesus that strengthened the church and caused it to grow in numbers and spiritual power and in influence. As the first work of church um, history ever penned, the book of Acts records the initial response to the Great Commission. It provides information on the first three decades of the church's existence. Though not primarily a doctrinal work, Acts nonetheless emphasizes that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's long awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, and shows that the gospel is offered to all men and stresses the work of the Holy Spirit. Mentioned more than 50 times, this glorious work of the Holy Spirit, mentioned some 50 different times. Acts is a book filled with lots of transitions from the ministry of Jesus to that of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, from the old covenant to the new covenant, from Israel as God's witness to the nations, to the church as God's witness to the nations, the church that Jesus purchased with his own life and his building. From the apostle Peter To the Apostle Paul, it's a book filled with transition. In Acts chapter 12, we find Peter in what appears to be a hopeless situation. In this chapter, the church is facing severe persecution. Jerusalem was faced with the choice between um, a new king of Israel appointed by Rome and the Messiah, Christ Jesus, sent by God. As you'll see, they chose the king, Herod Agrippa, sent by Rome, and they sought to destroy those who represented the king sent from God and enthroned in heaven. Jesus Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the savior of the world. Please follow along as I read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to him, himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this... When he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. In other words, you're crazy. Yet she kept on insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. How many want to be astonished in 2020? I've broken up today's scripture text into five sections. The promise, the problem, the prison, the prayer, the peace, and the power. The problem, the prison, the prayer, the peace, and the problem. Let's begin with understanding the problem. Again, let's look at verses 1 through 4. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. The Herod Luke is writing about is Herod Agrippa I. He comes from a long line of Herods, which is the name of a royal family that flourished among the Jews in the times of Christ and the the apostles. They were a scheming and murderous family, always afraid, fearful of losing their throne. There were three in the New Testament. Herod the Great, he was the Herod that the Magi, the wise men, appeared to when Jesus was born. That was the Herod who was responsible for executing all the male infants in order to eliminate the baby-born king of the Jews, but he did not succeed. And then there was King um, Antipas. He was the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded and was the Herod that was part of the trial and execution of Jesus. And then there's the third Herod. The third Herod is Herod Agrippa the first. He is the Herod in our text. He was the grandson of Herod the Great and he desperately, desperately wanted the Jewish people to like him. Very insecure. The Herods were despised by the Jews, and Herod Agrippa knew this, so he persecuted the church to convince the Jewish people of his loyalty to the traditions of their forefathers. On top of it, he was threatened by the preaching of this other king in the gospel message. The gospel has spread to Jerusalem. Where did it go from there? Well, we know it went to Judea and Samaria. From there, the gospel was to be brought to the end of the earth. Jesus told his disciples before his ascension in Acts 1a, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth of the earth. The gospel spreading to the end of the earth is going to start in Acts chapter 13. And God is going to use the Apostle Paul in a very remarkable, powerful way. The groundwork has been laid with the salvation of Cornelius, the Gentiles, um, and with the, the church at Antioch, the first Gentile church. Herod wants to stop the spreading of this good news about the king from heaven. And so as we come to Acts chapter 12, verse 1, we find Herod beginning his plot. He persecutes the church. Verse 2 tells us the first thing he does, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He was the first of the 12 apostles to be martyred. He was the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, um, the apostle. James was one of the three in Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John. This is the James who was at the transfiguration of Jesus. This is the James that in Mark 10 asked Jesus for a privileged position in his kingdom. In fact, Mark chapter 10 verse 37 says then they, James and John, said to him, said to Jesus, grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Listen carefully to Jesus' response to them in Mark chapter 10 verse 38 but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized? With, will you be baptized? They said to Jesus in verse 39, we are able. We are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and, and with the baptism I am baptized. With you will be baptized. They were gonna experience the sufferings of Jesus. James' martyrdom was the fulfillment of that promise Jesus made. Herod thought he would stamp out Christianity. Church, it's important to understand that James' death, his martyrdom, was the fulfillment of that promise Jesus made. Now Herod thought he would stamp out Christianity, kill off the apostles, and stop this movement. Movement. But something Herod did not recognize. It was the throne of heaven that was in control and not the throne on earth. I love Psalms chapter two, verses two through four. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Oh, really? You're going to come up with a plan to defeat me? To stop what I have set in motion? Church, God did not lose control when Herod killed James. And here's a simple application that I pray the Holy Spirit will use in someone's life today. Church, God rules. Church, God rules. No matter what you see, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what's being done to you that is not just, that is unfair, know this one thing. God rules. God rules. That's for someone today. Look at Acts chapter 12, verse 3. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison. Herod saw that the the Jews were ecstatic that he killed James. And when he saw it, it, it emboldened him to imprison, to to capture um, their leader. Peter dominates the 412 chapters of Acts. He's their leader. Understand what's going on here. It's all political by Herod. Herod is not anti-church. In fact, he's not even anti-Christian. He could care less. He's just pro-Herod. Did you hear that, church? He's pro-Herod. And when you're pro-yourself, you're going to do all kinds of things that are not honoring to the Lord, that are not glorifying to God. I hope there's no one here today that's pro-self. People commit horrible crimes in our world when they're pro-self. Herod was not anti-church or anti-Christian. He was just pro-Herod. He was interested in, in Herod, he'll do whatever is necessary to keep himself in power. He figured he'd kill the leader of the movement. Look at verse 4. So when he had arrested him, Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. It was Passover time, which meant everybody was in town, Jews from everywhere. As far as Herod thought, he had this thing planned perfectly. It couldn't have been a better scenario. As soon as Passover is done, he's going to kill the movement's leader before the whole Jewish world to see. He's thinking, they're going to love me after this, after I take out their leader. They're going to really like me. They're going to love me. We read Peter is guarded by four soldiers, two on the inside and two on the outside. He's chained to the two on the inside. Herod made sure there was maximum security. He had no doubt been warned How Peter was arrested two other times, but somehow managed to escape. Herod wanted to make sure that it didn't happen a third time. Uh, The Romans had divided the watches into four watches of three-hour shifts. Sixteen prison guards watched Peter. Sixteen prison guards watched Peter. Think about this. All the power of the earthly kingdom was being called on to keep Peter chained and in prison. The church grieving the news of James's death, and now Peter in prison, facing certain death, troubled and gripped um, with fear, there was the power of Rome, the, the, the violent king of Herod, the, the civil authority, the military, and the sharp edge of, of the sword still dripping the blood of the apostle James and Peter due in court the next morning. Certain was his death. All that the human eye could see, all that the human eye could see. And Maybe you can relate to it here this morning. All the human eye could see was an impossible situation with no way out. And maybe you're here today and you can relate. All you can see is an impossible situation with no way out. Do you find yourself in a prison? with no way out, maybe it's a past hurt, an addiction, a child indifferent toward the gospel, a troubled marriage, a troubled child, a troubled family member, a business deal that seems to have gone bad. A family torn apart. And the list can go on and on and on. Maybe you're here today and you can relate. Look at verse five. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Notice they didn't organize a prison relief committee or a prison relief fund. They started praying The word constant here is from a Greek word which is also translated fervently. It's a medical term and it has to do with stretching a muscle to the limits. It means total effort. They were totally, totally, totally lost in prayer. They prayed in total effort anguish of soul. They put out a total maximum effort in prayer. This was not casual prayer time. This was no casual prayer time. They were fervently pouring their hearts out to God on behalf of Peter. They agonized in prayer like Jesus agonized in the garden of Gethsemane. James chapter five, verse 16 says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This is a glorious truth for us to remember. I have a growing vision in my heart to see the body of Christ in the greater Rochester area joined together in one accord in unity to pray on a quarterly basis. This has been growing in my heart for the last a couple of years. I think it would be incredible if we could gather at the Blue Cross Arena. Wouldn't that be amazing to fill the Blue Cross Arena? I know it seems impossible, but not with God. But not with God. Jesus has one church he is building here in Rochester. And he says about that one church that he is building in Rochester. It is written in Matthew twenty-one thirteen. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus prayed for his church in John 17, 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. In the Old Testament, Psalms 133, verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The first century church was known as a praying church, a unified church. As one church, united together, praying together, believing God together, on mission together. And they were unstoppable. No matter what the earthly um, rulers would try to do. No matter um, the demons and powers in hell would try to do. Nothing would stop this movement of God. And here we are 2000 years later and it's still moving. Just imagine the body of Christ in the greater Rochester area uniting together in prayer, getting totally lost in prayer. Stretching every prayer muscle to the limit in agonizing, spirit led, spirit empowered prayer for the lost in the greater Rochester area. For those battling addiction, the opioid crisis. For the unborn, the homeless, the family unit. The Rochester School District and all the surrounding school districts. The Governor of New York. I thought I'd get a lot of amens on that one. The New York Senate and New York Assembly. I'll share more next week. The greatest influence in the world today is the church. We are filled with the power of the all powerful God. I'm so grateful as I open the service with this morning, the the message. I'm so grateful for the Word of God. It's a gift to us. I'm so grateful and thankful for the gift called prayer. It's an honor to pray. Every time we open our mouths and talk to God, it's an honor. I ask my my kids Sunday afternoons and other family gatherings when we're about to share a meal together. I ask one of them. and, And this is what I say pretty consistently. Will you have the honor? Will you have the honor to pray? Because it's such an honor to talk to God. You see, prayer, when we pray, we are talking to God, we are coming face to face with the living God, the holy God who made heaven and earth. When we pray, when we talk to God, we're coming face to face with the living God and he doesn't strike us dead. Because he doesn't see Pat Medeiros in his filth in his sin, his unrighteousness, and ungodliness. He sees Pat Medeiros wrapped in the righteousness of his son. And this amazing invitation has been given to us to come boldly with confidence in what Jesus did for you and me on the cross to the throne room of grace, face-to-face, with God, and bring our petitions in our time of need. In church, we are in time of need, not only here in New York, but all over this country and all over this world. We are in great times of need. But we serve a great God who's all-powerful. Now, there's a a detail in our text that we don't want to pass over in this story. Look at verse 6a. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. I love this verse. The same night that Herod's getting ready to execute Peter in the morning, Peter's sleeping. Now, I thought about this passage for several days. What would I be doing if I knew I was going to be facing the same fate, the sword? If I knew I was going to be beheaded for preaching good news, not fake news, but good news, true news, the gospel. Would I be able to sleep? Peter's sleeping. Maybe you would be able to sleep. He wasn't in a sleeping for 15 minutes and waking up and then tossing and turning and and waking up. You know those nights where you just toss and turn all night long? This wasn't the kind of sleep Peter was experiencing. Peter was so sound of sleep. We read in verse seven that the angel had to poke Peter on the side to to wake him up. This angel sent by God had to whack him. He was in a deep sleep. He was sound. He was at peace. It says he struck Peter. It begs us to ask the question why didn't Peter lose any sleep? Possibly for two reasons. Number one, he had a promise from God. And number two, he had confidence in the sovereignty of God. The promise of God is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. Jesus promised Peter, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you. Where you do not wish. He's going to be so aged. He's going to need assistance. He's not going to be able to do it in his own strength. He's going to be, he's going to be up there in age. He's going to need assistance. This he spoke. Signifying by what death. He, he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this. Jesus said to him. Follow me. And Jesus Told Peter right there, you're gonna be crucified. You're gonna die on the cross. Jesus promised Peter, you're going to die when you're an old man. You know why Peter was sleeping in this prison? Resting in the peace and presence of God? He wasn't an old man. He knew the word that was spoken to him by Jesus and he trusted that word, that promise spoken to him by Jesus. How many know the word of God given to us? How many know the promises of God given to us? I'm so grateful for this book. So thankful for the word of God. Every time we open it up, he speaks to us just like Jesus spoke to Peter in the Gospel of John. God speaks to us every time we open up this book. It is the the living, active word of God. The breath of God. Incredible. Powerful. Every time. Every time we open it up, I'm so grateful. Church, it's so important that we that we open up this incredible book, this this gift to us, the Bible. And we allow God to speak to us. I opened up from Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We have something. We have a part in allowing the word of God to speak to us. And to dwell in us richly. Richly. It makes the difference in moments of crisis. Severe crisis. He knew the Lord wasn't finished with him. He knew he had this promise. He had this encounter with Jesus. He knew, church, no one can cut short what God intends for your life. I remember when I transitioned from, from youth pastor to senior pastor, our church had gone through a very difficult, difficult season. In fact, I was, I was asked three different times if I wanted to submit a resume to be considered to be the next pastor of Greece Assembly of God. And all three times I said, you know, thank you um, for uh, <clears throat> giving me this opportunity, but, my, but Tina and I, we, we just don't sense that were to um, put our name in. And so all three times, we respectfully declined. They had 12 candidates that they were considering. They narrowed it down to three. My name wasn't a part of the 12, and my name wasn't a part of the three. Then one Tuesday night, I had an encounter with God my wife was present, Vic and Kitty Cavalieri was present. Unlike anything I've ever experienced before, and the Lord spoke to my heart in such clarity a week from tonight, you will have a conversation about being the senior pastor of Greece Assembly of God. It's okay. The next day, I had breakfast with Bob Godula, senior. We sat in our booth. We met every Wednesday morning. The first thing, Bob, you said to me, I don't know if you remember it or not. I'll never forget it because it's marked my life forever. What's God been saying to you lately? The very first thing that came to mind is what happened to me the night before. I told him. He changed the topic right away. I felt like a real idiot and wanted to get out of there. I come back to the church. I call my wife. I told her what Bob had asked me. I told her what I said. She goes, I can't believe you told him that. (laughs) She knows it's unlike me when I sense the Lord speaking to me. I wait and I wait and I wait and I look for confirmation. The next day I'm off. Our phone rings in the morning. My wife picks it up, I'm upstairs. She says, "Hun, it's the Assemblies of God District Office. They wanna talk to you. I says, I'll pick it up in the bedroom. I picked it up. We greeted one another. And they said, Brother Medeiros, um, the pulpit committee at the church wanted me to reach out to you. They've narrowed down, they had 12 candidates, they've narrowed it down to three. But before they bring any of the three in, They were wanting to know if you would be open to meet with them next Tuesday to have conversation about being the pastor of Greece Assembly. By you saying yes doesn't mean you're accepting the offer to be the pastor. They just want to have a conversation. I said, hon, hon, hon. (laughs) She comes running upstairs, what? And I told her, she goes, honey, don't be joking around. This is no joke. Literally, we fell almost simultaneously to our knees and started to weep, and we said to God, God, if this is your will, we say yes. And a week from that night that God spoke to my heart, I was with that pulpit committee. And April 1st will be 25 years, by the grace of God, Lord willing, it will be 25 years. Lord willing. I wasn't planning on sharing that today, but I felt inspired and prompted by the Holy Spirit for this one reason. Two weeks after being installed as the new lead pastor, Greece Assembly of God was hosting what they call the network conference. It's all the Assemblies of God pastors and evangelists and, and missionaries, missionaries from all over the country um, from, from the world, um, from the from the New York um, network. We gathered together once a year for, for um, three, four days of services and meetings. And I was introduced At the presbyters meeting, those are the top dogs, I guess, they're the presbyters. I was introduced in this meeting as the new pastor and how I was the youth pastor for nine years. He's the new senior pastor. And one of the presbyters said this, he's a temporary fix. (laughs) I didn't let it bother me. I could have, but I chose not to. One of our Network officials kind of cracked the joke to kinda of lighten the tension in the room, and then they went on with their meeting. Now we were hosting this in several different passes from our network. When I saw them, they they would say to me, Pat, are you nuts taking this on? You're crazy. I didn't have one encouraging word the entire time from anyone network I just never responded because I knew one thing I heard from God I heard from God in fact the night before the annual business meeting they invited my wife and I to meet with all the church membership for a Q&A time it was down in the gym I'll never forget the first question A brother who now is home with the Lord. He says, Pat, he went to the mic. He says, Pastor Pat, why do you want to be the pastor of Greece Assembly of God? And my honest response right away was my wife standing right beside me. In all honesty, my wife and I stand before you tonight not wanting to be the pastor of Greece Assembly of God. We stand before you tonight knowing this is the will of God. Why did I know this? Because the Lord, in a very supernatural way, spoke to my heart. He confirmed it. He speaks to us, church. He speaks to us. He speaks to us. And he confirms what he speaks to us. I want to say five years ago, but it might be seven now. I'm in Syracuse, and I was asked to do the Sanctuary Session. Again, it's a network conference, maybe seven years ago. I'm asked to do the Sanctuary Session, um, a workshop on building bridges with your community, how to build relationships with your community, with your community leaders. And so I I, I gave this talk on on how to build relationships with your community leaders, and these these pastors came up to me, and and they said, Pastor, um, is that right? You've been serving at your church now for, it was 20 something years at the time, 25 years at the time. And, and, and I said, yes, can you give us five keys? What's kept you? And one, one pastor said, I've been at it for 14 years and I'm on my third church. What's the key? And I said, I've never been asked a question before. I only have one. I know I'm called. No matter how tough it is. No matter how discouraging you are when you go home and you put your head on the pillow, this one thing I do know, when I put my head on the pillow, I know I'm called of God. No matter what I'm waking up to and facing the next day, I know I'm called by God. Why do I know this? Because God spoke to me. God spoke to me. God spoke to me, and he speaks to you. Can I hear a big amen, church? I hope that blesses someone today. I was sharing this vision about the churches uniting together with another pastor this week, and And he just started sharing how that's going to be so challenging because we we disagree on this and we disagree on this and, and we disagree on this doctrine. And if you like the same old results year after year, then keep doing what you're doing. It's time for the body of Christ, the church that Jesus is building, to unite together under the banner of of the doctrine of salvation in Jesus Christ and Christ alone and unite together in fervent prayer for this city, for this state, for this nation, and for the nation's Of the world. Can I hear a big amen church? I want to encourage you. No one can cut short. What God intends. For your life. No wicked scheme. Will prevent you from finishing. The race. The task. That God has given you. I'm going to be honest with you. It's been 25 years. Since I heard that presbyter. He's a temporary fix. I saw him in year 10 and I was so tempted to go up to him and just say, 10! I'm just, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. And then when it was 15, I wanted to go up to him and say. And I was sharing this with my wife the other day. And church, I'm going to be, it's a real temptation. It's a real temptation. Every time I see him, the first thing that comes to my mind is what he said almost 25 years ago. That's what comes to, that's what I know. I don't even know his name. (laughs) I've never learned his name. But the moment I go up to him and I say, 20 years and walk away, it's over. It's over. It is over. It is over. Because at that very moment, I have chosen to glorify myself and not the one who called me and is the one doing the work through me. The temptation's real. Whoever that's for today, that's for someone today. I need to learn his name. I'm going to work on it. And May, we have network conference. Hopefully, I'll come back and I'm, I'm going to say, you know that presbyter, his name is. I'm going to work on knowing his name. Pastors, hold me accountable. I want to know his name. The presbyter with no name. Sounds like a song. <sighs> Where are we going with this message? (laughs) No wicked scheme will prevent you or I from finishing the race. It ends when it's time to end. So, how are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? God is in control. Rest in Him. Someone needs to hear this word today. This brings us to the last point on today's sermon note outline, the power. Now, even though the Lord is sovereign, he involves us. He involves us. That too is a gift, to be involved with his redemptive plan in redeeming humanity. He involves us. We have opportunities to be involved in a lot of things in in this world, but... (laughs) He involves us in this. There's nothing greater, more rewarding, more fulfilling, more lasting. But constant prayer is the turning point in this story. Church, never underestimate the power of a praying church. The angel fetched Peter out of prison. But it was prayer that fetched the angel. I just want to read through verses 7 through 15. It's worth reading. We can never read it enough. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, stood by Peter, and a light shone in the prison. The light of heaven. Oh, the light of heaven. Oh, the light of heaven. Come to Rochester. Come to Greece. Come to our homes. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, I, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying, praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the door. She didn't open the gate. She was like, wow, it's Peter, the one we've been praying for 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 days now fervently praying for stretching every prayer muscle we have lost in the agony of prayer for this one he is at the gate this is awesome i gotta go tell everybody and peter's there (laughs) continuing to knock announced that peter stood before the gate but they said to her you are beside yourself now when you look at that word basically they're saying you're crazy you're absolutely nuts. you're crazy And some of you might think I'm crazy because of the story I just told you. Some people might think my dad's story is crazy as a tavern owner. when the presence of God came into his room and raised him up from his deathbed. He saw this bright presently body in his room with hands stretched out not even saved. He just turned 85 years old. Doctors said he wasn't going to live. Well, that was 40-something years ago. And he just celebrated 85 years. And some people will say, that man's nuts. Because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We'll never be astonished if we try to keep God in our theological boxes. We will never be astonished. That might thin out the crowd next week. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel." In this miracle, there were some ordinary tasks for Peter. Ordinary tasks. God gives us ordinary tasks. Look at verse 8 again. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. They're, they're ordinary tasks. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And so, so he did. They're, they're just ordinary tasks. Natural tasks. Ordinary tasks. Nothing supernatural about them. These were certainly ordinary tasks to do while a miracle was taking place. You see, church, God often joins the miraculous with the ordinary. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but the men had to roll the stone from the tomb. The same angel that removed the chains from Peter's hands could have put the shoes on Peter's feet, but he told Peter to do it. Peter had to stoop down before he could before he could walk. It's a good lesson in humility and obedience. First Peter five six says, "Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time." James four ten, "Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up." Here's a personal application. God alone can do the extraordinary, but the people, the church, must do the ordinary. God alone can do the supernatural, but his people, the church, must do the natural. Prayer is the most natural and normal response of a heart that is dependent upon God. Pastor Jim Simbler, in his book, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire, I read it this morning. I read it this this week. He says, pastors and churches have to get uncomfortable enough to say, we are not New Testament Christians if we don't have a prayer life. Prayer is coming face to face with the living God. Even when you give him thanks for your lunch today, when you open your mouth to give him thanks Do you know what's going on that very moment? You are coming face to face with the living God who provided you that meal you're about to enjoy. You're coming face to face in his presence with the living God. Boy, it changes the way we pray over our meals. Prayer is coming face to face with God the natural with the supernatural. Join me standing. I just want to read verse 16 again. Now Peter continued knocking when they opened the door and saw him. They were astonished. How many want to be astonished in 2020? You want to be astonished in 2020. How many right now with your eye all you see is the impossible I invite you to see through the eyes of faith and see what is possible for God as the worship team leads us in this song if you desire to come and pray or you desire to come and be prayed for or if you desire to come and give your life to Christ all three are welcome to come